Hello and welcome to the True Purpose podcast. My name is Will Stewart and I'm the founder of True Purpose Enterprises. We are a collection of businesses created to empower and promote future-proof enterprises that drive both happiness and success. On this podcast, our conversations will explore what it means to lead with true purpose and why this is necessary for people, planet, and most crucially, profit. If you like inspiring stories of resilience, purpose, happiness, and biscuits, then your ears are in the right place. So my guest this week is Richard Beese. He is co-founder of We Do Play, who are creating unrivaled and unforgettable experiences for all types of humans. This is really the future of location-based entertainment, which is a massive, massive trend for all of us at the moment. He is also co-founder of Putt Putt Noodle and co-founder of Flip Out Global, and he's co-founder of Boom Battle Bars and co-founder of White Trees Group. So very impressive guests, I'm very, very happy to have you on board. All of his businesses have purpose at their heart, and while this phrase is usually overused, it isn't today, which is the definition of a serial entrepreneur. I first met Rich four years ago, which was pre-Brexit, pre-pandemic, pre-war, pre-cost of living crisis, and his vision to create something totally innovative was incredibly inspirational. His drive was ridiculous, and his resilience is off the scale. He's from Bristol, so you might spot an accent. He has a remarkable, fascinating story, so welcome, Rich. Cheers, Will. That was a hell of an introduction there. Nice to see you again. We've been talking recently on some of the projects that we've we've got going together, which is good. And and I know it sounds like yeah, <laughs> like I'm co-founding this, co-founding that. It, it, it sounds good, but there's a lot more into just and, and one idea rolls into another and another. It's all exciting, exciting stuff. Would you say founding businesses is addictive? Yeah, I think it's just something that. I have to do you know and and we see opportunities all the time and it's exciting and it's nerve-wracking building the business is a lot of fun but there's one thing of having the idea putting pen to paper creating the idea and then actually running it that's a different ball game again but there's a lot of fun and a lot of stress that that comes with that all, all together generally I kind of think of the well I don't just think of the idea as a collection but I'll take it to a certain point try and put lots of different angles of it all together and capitulate it and then kind of move it over to the ops guys that I work with who will then get it going. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, ideas are such a valuable asset to have in any business, but anyone can have an idea, right? I think the major thing, and you you have an incredible co-founder as well and a, a brilliant team, you know, the key is, you know, having being able to have the ideas and execute them and get them to market. That's what is a real standout for the whole We Do Play group because now you're in a position where you can see opportunities and you have all the tools able to explore those. And also, you know, they're not always successful. You've got to fail. You've got to learn where they're wrong so that you can then build on it for the next one. But I'd like to just start, if I may, like to go back to your, I guess, first career. Just talk me through, you know, you, you left education and, and joined the city. So talk me through what happened or, you know, how that started. Let, let me, if I can go back a little bit further than that as well, of where my first taste of business or commerce was. And it was realising that I have something that someone else might want. And could I then trade that? 
to get something bigger. And that started, I remember in particular, my idea and, and realisation started when I found some Monopoly money on, on the floor. The friend I was with at the time said he really wanted it. I said, well, it is mine. I've just found it. And it was just a bit of paper, Monopoly money. How, how old do you reckon you were at that time? I'm 21. <laughs> <laughs> No, we. Um, I don't know. I'd probably say eight, something like that. And he said, I will swap that Monopoly money with you for a splinter, uh, a little figurine from Ninja Turtles, and I'll swap that with you. And I just suddenly thought, hold on a minute. He wants to swap that because he really wants this Monopoly money. Now, obviously, you could say, well, what a mug. But at the time, he'd obviously had his fun with that splinter toy, and it was more important that he got the Monopoly money. And I just remember that was the first realisation is, wow, I can take something and swap it for something that I think's better. So that was my first little taste. It sticks in my head. I didn't obviously realise it at that time, but that was the first taste of commerce, I guess. Yeah, and trading, right? And trading before money's involved, you know, before we invented money. It's like understanding someone else can do something or has something you want and you can exchange stuff, right? And then it's about trading price, right? Yeah, exactly. And then from there, I just continued to roll into other things. So I had a little Blackberry. I used to pick Blackberries. Well, I actually used to get someone else to pick the Blackberries for me. I'd bag them up and then I'd knock on all people's doors and neighbours to sell these little Blackberries that I've got from the park. I had a car washing little enterprise. And, you know, I used to go around and we did well some days and some days were really tough and, and we didn't get any business. And uh, I remember I knocked on my friend's door one day and he was still in bed and I was really upset. You know, I was like, why aren't you getting up, you know? And and that was kind of the end of our partnership there. And then I went on to doing a lot of car boot sales and just selling things. And I seemed to get a little buzz from it. And then I started buying bikes and doing these bikes up a little bit, restoring them here and there, and then resend them for a profit. And then I started doing electronic devices and going along that vein. And at school, I saw a business studies course. I wasn't really interested in a lot of, I mean, I, I, I think I was okay as an all-rounder. And it wasn't like I wanted to go into to science or medicine but I had a real flavor for business I just wanted to learn more about it so I went into business studies I took that into college and did an MBQ and then I came to this period where I just didn't know what I was doing or really where I was going and all this time I had jobs you know I'd had tons of jobs I was always working I always had money in my pocket I was never one of these people that couldn't do what I wanted I always had that ability to if I wanted to go here I wanted to go there and I was never given any money. It wasn't that I, I had a trust account or anything like that. I just made my money. But it didn't even occur to me that some people were like, well, I haven't got any money. You know, I don't know what to do about it. Or I just worked more. You know, I'd do more overtime. You found a way, and there's an attitude piece with that. I mean, you know, at school, it's easier if you want to be a scientist or go into something that's a bit more vocational. There's, think the thing with studying business or commerce still not enough in school and it's a lot of people are in are in school leaving school saying I don't really know what I want to do but there is an interest in trading or commerce or business of some sort and yeah. it's you know fascinating yeah. you've done all those things all those businesses you had jobs the whole time you knew the value of money and it would get you things you wanted to get and you went out and got it but you, you fell into a position of, I actually don't know what I want to do. And that's fine. I think that's seen as, oh, you know, d- doesn't know what you want to do. It's like, no, that's actually probably a good thing at that, at that age. Yeah, it's just a process of life and learning. And you get times when you do have to think hard. But that's when sometimes you don't know what you want to do. So you've got to take a risk. And then you've got to do something that 
maybe you didn't realize that you might end up liking, but you wouldn't know unless you took that risk. And actually, I was quite fortunate that at that stage when I left college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working in a bar and my dad was looking through the Sunday jobs paper in the Guardian all the time. It's one of the, the main papers. And he spotted a little advert that said video photographers wanted college education, no experience necessary, full training on cruise ships. So I saw a little advert and rang them up. And then within five days, I was in London, traveled up to Bristol, went there, you know, spoke to the guy. He got me doing various things. Like I had to stand up at the back of the room and just you know, shout at him in front of all these other people. And he was testing all these different things. A week later, I got the job. I'm on a cruise ship. I'm in Miami on this cruise ship in full uniform. Chucked the minute I stepped on the ship, bang, I was straight into work. And it was a really strange job. And that gave me another flavor of business because it actually wasn't about making the videos. So I would go on all of the excursions and different events on the ship and make a video diary of what's going on. And then we'd stick the video onto the cruise ship sort of main channel in the evening. People could see themselves on the video and they come in by the cassette. But that wasn't where the real money was. That was just a way to get us on the ship. So we would, not us, sorry, the business. So we would film, you know, what to do on a certain island, where the gold shops were, where the fabric shops were, where the memorabilia shops and, and all this sort of stuff. So we would kind of aid to that. But the real bit was actually renting our own snorkeling equipment to the passengers. Now, the passengers really could have gone off and just rented it wherever they went to, Paradise Island in the Bahamas that I was at a lot. They could have just rented it there. But my job was to convince them to take it here at a higher price and with a disposable camera or maybe three. So that was the real money. And we were bringing in, I mean, it was like, this was, uh, this was, I was at 19. So this was 22 years ago. And we were taking in about uh, $14,000 a week per site. And there were 17 ships on Carnival at the time. And that was mainly from renting out snorkeling equipment. It was obscene. So there was a lot of money to be made there which I just got on with my job and I was living the dream. I was absolutely, you know, it was just beautiful people, amazing. You know, I was coming from being in Bristol where I grew up and what have you. And then I'm suddenly just rolling around on Miami Beach or Paradise Island or Ocho Rios in Jamaica or in Mexico. And that was my home. That was where I was and meeting all these flamboyant people as well. But I was making money. You know, I was making really good money and it was tax free. And I was just having the time of my life. I actually ended up getting kicked off. Because I drank too much one night because I was moving on another ship, got really carried away and um, basically just overslept. But I hadn't just overslept. I kind of just messed around on the ship with some other people and they kind of didn't take any excuses. And the next thing I knew, I was back in Bristol, pretty much. It was the next flight home back in Bristol. That was a massive reality shock. Then I had to face the fact of, you know, I had something fantastic and now I've lost it. I've lost it because of a stupid mistake. But it was all valuable mistakes when I look back now, because that gave me the feeling that you can have something that you love that can be taken away in a blink of an eye. And even though there wasn't necessarily a purpose coming out of it, I was giving enjoyment to a lot of people. But this was just another job to give me a taste of experience in, in again, a line of career in terms of business that I wanted to go down it was a perfect job at that time but it was still figuring out a purpose I guess yeah I mean how did you feel 
to be fair, it sounds absolute dream. 19, Bahamas, everything you love. You know, obviously now you can look back and go, well, it's a great learning because I've picked out this, that, whatever. I mean, at the time, did you struggle with it or were you just so relent relentless? No, I struggled. I struggled. Yeah, I mentally struggled. Once I get my teeth into something, I really elevate on that and I, I go quite excitable and I'm quite extreme. And, and I was out of balance at that time because I'd gone too extreme. I was drinking a lot. I wasn't sleeping a lot. I was just having the absolute time of my life. But it got too much. And when I suddenly landed back in Bristol, I was staying in my sister's. Well, it was it was my sister's old room because she'd taken my bedroom when I went. It was a really small room. My feet were hanging off a bed because it was a bed from when she was a lot younger. I really didn't have much money. I kind of spent it all when I was there. I had a girlfriend before I went. She'd gone. I had a car. That had gone. I had nothing. <laughs> and I was just and I was looking out of my window and it was tipping down with rain. This was like the next day. And it was really hard for about two months I didn't even really want to go outside because I didn't want to go and see my friends because I just thought, I'm not supposed to be here this isn't what's supposed to be happening did you at any point in that feel like you, you know you were a failure or you'd ruined your life or any sort of bigger no things or was it did you realize it was maybe a process that you'd go through no still no what I felt at the time was and it goes back to your podcast. I'm not trying to associate things of purpose. But when I look at it, I didn't now know my purpose because I thought this was it. And I, at the time, I thought I can move up the ranks. I can become a sort of main manager. Maybe I'll, I'll set up in Miami in due course because I was really trying hard as well. You know, I was trying to sell hard. I was working hard, but I was playing too hard at the same time. But I was 19, living in a dream. So there's no regrets on that. No regrets at all. I had the time of my life. But then if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have seen the next job advert for the stockbrokers and I would never have done that. And then obviously I'd never be here where I am today, which I'm in a happy place. Exactly. And the, and the thing for us on the podcast is where you're saying, oh, I'm not just trying to tie the, the purpose to it, but, you know, we are. And I, I think, you know, a lot of very successful people today have had experiences early on in their careers where no one even knew what the word purpose was back in those days. So. It's that process that you're going through to find what you, you know, like and what you're passionate about, what you're good at, but also having a bit more meaning. Those two months sat in that bed with the feet hanging off the end, however like dark that might have felt at the time, there was formulations going on in there. There was thought processes and things that were like, well, I love this or I, I did that and these are the mistakes. So I won't make those mistakes again. There's a lot of processing that's going on. And then as you say, you know, you can't rewind the clock. These things happened. At some point, you've got to get to a, well, I'm going to start going again. I'm going to get out there and try something else. And then it just becomes part of your journey. And then it's just part of the story, right? That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's, it's an experience. It's a, it, we're all on this roller coaster, and, and it depends where you want to go and where it takes you without you controlling it. And it's, as my dad said, you know, it's a rich tapestry of life, which it is. And it, it'd be really boring otherwise. So, did you see an advert? Did you want to be a stockbroker? I didn't know what a stockbroker was. No, I had no idea. No idea. And my dad helped me out on it. He spotted that job for me, idea. I wouldn't have been looking in the Guardian news, the news bit that falls out of the Guardian. I wasn't looking at it. He did. But I happened to see this one, and I was looking in the back for jobs because obviously that's how I got the cruise ship job. And it just said equity brokers wanted, no experience necessary, college education, almost similar. I've still got the advert today as well, a little file. I had to keep it. It says generous remuneration. So I then said to my dad, what's an equity broker? 
bear in mind we didn't really have the internet at that point you know it was like ask Jeeves if if it was around I can't really remember but it was like dial up and he said oh that's that's stockbroking basically and equities are stocks and you know I've got some stocks I knew he did and that was one thing as well when I was young Euro Disney floated on the stock market when it came on and I for some reason used to religiously look at that share price didn't even really know what it was and I remember it opened and it absolutely tanked every day I used to go on teletext and watch it. it must have been what my dad did but I found it fun so got the interview and it was just a room filled with young guys suited and booted I'd never seen myself in an office before and everyone just looked kind of cool but you know this was early noughties so I don't know if it was cool you know with big sort of two-tone ties big cuffs but I went in and my my director guy at the time first of all just went look nice to see you here what do you think of Lord of the Rings because it had just come out and I thought this this is going to be good. This is going to be great. So we just talked a lot about that, like me and you were talking now. And he was obviously getting a feel for me and an understanding and how I was and whether I'd blend in. It was irrelevant whether I knew about equities. I think he wanted to see if I was kind of sharp enough to absorb it quite quickly and then go out there, be part of the team and and execute this and, and drum up business. So he gave me that chance. And because of what happened on the cruise ship and that six months miserable sabbatical that I had I was absolutely determined not to mess this one up there was nothing I felt at that time I was going to mess this up so I worked hard there wasn't enough time in the day to stop me from being in that office I was the earliest I was the latest leaving all I was doing was account opening but I did it I did it as best of my ability I bought several books because I thought I need to educate myself how this is going to work how to sell better so I looked into that and, it, and we ended up buying the books for the company the director because I was going you know, and using it quite well I think with books and things like that you either take it and absorb it but some people won't it's not the way they work you know we bought it for the company some people never even picked it up some people did they're like yeah it's all right and one or two people like me just got lots out of it and that was selling to win by richard dini i think it was selling to win it was a good book and at the time that the company as a stockbrokers was going through a state of flux and a chap from America came over and this was in Bristol, basically reduced the team to a handful. And there was a lot of clients there. And because I'd, I'd been grafting really hard, I was one of the top performers. I was just at the right time and I got a load of clients given to me, like inherited clients, basically. And then we expanded into London. So I moved with the company, which was great because I went to London with a purpose with this company. And again, it was that point, whatever I do and try and put 110 percent in, I wanted to be the top dog at the business. I wanted to go on and do bigger and better things. But yeah, I mean, you, you say, you know, right, right place, right time or, or whatever. But, you know, if you've been the hardest worker, first in the office, last to leave, We've all, most of us, been through redundancy rounds at companies and stuff like that. If you work that hard and you were driven by the fact that you mucked up in a previous role, if you were prepared to put in the graph, more graph than everyone else, when stuff hits fans and all the other stuff and there's less opportunity and some people are going to lose out, you were probably top of that list. And then suddenly, because of something that happened three years earlier, you've got this opportunity. You're the one moving to London with all the clients. Yeah, you know, a young age, that's that sort of hard work thing, the, one of the most important things, right? Everyone can always work harder, you've just got to find your balance, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it went from a business in Bristol from like four people, five people that were left, 
and we ended up getting to about 75, you know, I think even topped out with back office to 100 people in the space of a couple of years. And I, I loved it, you know, and, and on a number of occasions, we were making our investors good money. We did a lot of pre-IPO stuff, so businesses coming onto the market. For me, it was the perfect job. And I didn't realize because I always wanted to have my own business. I had no idea how, I had no idea in, in what guise that would look like. But I knew ideally I have to learn about business. And I always wanted to learn on the job. And like I said earlier, that's why I didn't go to university because I saw a number of people going into marketing courses and various things that they would never use. I had no interest in that. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be making money. I wanted to learn on that job. If there was something else, I wanted to do, I would have gone to university. And I've always had in the back of my mind that at some point later on in life, I'll do it in reverse. and Maybe I'll go to university and do something. But you, so you love learning, right? And I think one of the key skills to start your own business is you have to learn how to sell. And probably you had a very good education in that, in stockbroking, that is all sales, right? You, know, you did that for a long time. Did you have a like the owner of the company that sort of kept you? Did you have a mentor at that time or someone that was, you know, backing you as well? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, he passed away. He um, jumped in front of a train in, in Victoria, which is a really sad story, really, of how that happened. So that was a tough pill to swallow because he was my mentor and he was actually from Bristol as well. So he was 10 years older than me and we went to London together and he really put his arm around me. And I, and I don't think, even though I was working hard, there was a number of things that I know he did to one, protect me a bit, but also to incubate me through. But he was a big drinker, like I became a big drinker and he was a very, very funny guy as well. So we just had a lot of fun, you know, and, and, it definitely helped me get go up the ranks. It wasn't ultimately, but he definitely had my back with it. And one of the things that stick in my mind from Darren was the minute you leave the door in the morning, you shut the door, all of your personal problems or whatever it might be stays there. You are now a stockbroker. You clear your mind of everything going on and you become ultra focused in your mission that you've got at hand. And that is to be there for your clients, to sell the stock for the business and to work to the best of your ability. As soon as you get out of that office, you can take that hat back off and you can be, you know, who you want to be again. It was probably simpler in those times without mobile phones and constant emails and everything. Yeah, you had a work life and a life life and they were separate, right? Did you find there was purpose in that business for you? other than just selling lots of things and making lots Massive of purpose. Yeah, huge. This is what I was going to get onto is it was the right job at the right time for me. It wasn't purpose in terms of making a difference necessarily to people's lives. Some people made money, some people lost money. The purpose for it was the fact I got to learn not just about business and sales, but I got to learn in depth of all these different types of companies. So one day I was an oil specialist. The next day I'm a pharmaceutical guru. The next day I'm a mining expert. The next day I'm, I'm a media mogul. And these were a lot of smaller businesses. So I could see why they were raising money, why it's gone wrong from before, what impact is it, how important it is for the management, what's affected the share price, who's backed the business, where is that company going, why, what could react, you know, the share price based on what that company's doing or what they're about to bring out. I started to understand accounts, you know, bearing in mind, I, I touched on it in college with business and whatever, but it's totally different when you're in real life. And this, so this was a real life learning experience. It couldn't have been better to, to learn all about about that you were learning from all their mistakes right i guess because you were seeing 
businesses that had made mistakes in different sectors and different market dynamics and learning about what went wrong and therefore what you could do. I guess probably for you, having known you wanted your own business since you were you know, six, seven years old, it must have been a fascinating insight into what kind of business might I do because you saw so many different ones. But you know what? It wasn't that like I was working there thinking about that at the time. It's when I look back at it. And I used to say I've got the best job, you know, because I was earning really good money and I was learning about these businesses. I was having a great laugh with everyone there. It looks like my mates, but they were mates. You know, they are mates still to this day. Just couldn't have been better. But I was learning about all of this stuff without even realising it. And it was only when I started and I wanted to branch away because I did get burnt out. You know, I, I got to a point where I didn't even really want to pick up the phone anymore. Like I, I really I didn't even want to give anyone a spill. I was done with it. It just it was a natural progression that just said to me, this isn't it now. I need to move away and I need to, to go on to the next, next phase, which was where I wanted to be. Yeah, isn't it stock? broker's career the same as a footballer isn't it past 30 and you're on the way down right yeah I guess so yeah I mean it depends but it was just a different environment things started to change and then so you had a uh, an opportunity I mean your first business so uh, talk me through then the transition of leaving the city and starting your first business so leaving the city I basically invested in a friend of mine there's a whole backstory to this i have mentioned uh, a little bit to you before will there's a whole backstory so i then invested in a friend of mine it was my idea actually at the time and he had been working in the health industry for children care and over a good few beers at a new year's eve party that we met because we hadn't seen each other for a long long time so we were just you know going through everything we've been doing in life and it came out of the whole thing the next day on new year's day i called him up said, look would you be interested in maybe starting your own business with myself possibly my business partner dave at the time we can put a little bit of money in you know and, and get it going and he took a massive leap of faith so did we and now fast forward 14 years it's a very very successful business but to rewind on that little bit it wasn't that i was looking for I was looking for things to do, but it wasn't I was specifically looking to get into the healthcare industry. It wasn't I was trying to identify someone to roll out my idea. It just happened that I met him at the right place and I had my eyes open. And something I've always done, Will, is read. I don't really like novels and stuff. like that. I love films and fiction, but I don't really read novels like that. But what I have read in the past more than now is lots and lots of books about serial entrepreneurs. You know, all of the famous ones that we know, I've read all of their autobiographies. And that was what you touched on earlier. One, to look at the mistakes they've made, learn it, and to look at the things that they did right and look at their mindset and what put them into that place. And one of the things that Richard Branson, I always remember, said, which I love it, his famous phrases is, live life for today as if you're going to die tomorrow, but plan for tomorrow as if you're going to live forever. So you're really utilizing the moment, but you're also not taking away the fact that you still are going to have tomorrow, you know, or be well. And you've got to still think about that. And I just loved that. And that was one that, that I read. But at the time, I just read Duncan Ballantyne's autobiography. So he was, I think he was on Dragon's Den at the time, I think. Yeah, it must have been. I saw that he was selling ice creams, you know, and he built up business from one ice cream band to about 14. And then he was watching something on TV, and it was when care homes for the elderly were being privatized. And he thought, there's money to be made in that. So I'm going to get into it. 
and he looked into it and he did. And I just had in the back of my mind, if an ice cream man can do that, I'm sure I could probably do something if that ever came around. But it was like a passing thought and then that was it. I just happened to be talking to my friend six months later at this New Year's Eve party and he started telling me there was a lot of money in the industry, but he was just devastated by the amount of cowboys that were involved and basically you know running the children's homes into the ground taking money a lot of money out understaffing it and then just closing the the shops but the impact to the children there runs far deeper than you could possibly imagine long term for those children for the communities around them for the people they interact with the ramifications are gigantic you know on a butterfly effect but obviously these these people didn't care so he he was devastated by it he left the industry he started as a volunteer then moved up the house manager there was like almost a riot because it was him and one other guy in a home with 14 children and you know he was one of london's strongest men he's a very he's a very interesting guy actually worth a chat with as well will on terms of purpose he he takes it to another level with his background because he lived on the streets and all these different things so he then left the industry in tears and he started up his own building company and he started it with five pounds in his pocket he had a wife and kids at the time he managed to print out some leaflets went door to door and built a successful business so as i'm talking to him he said look there's a lot of money to be made in this business and it, you can actually make more by doing it right doing it properly and giving good outcomes and you'll end up getting more money if you've got a long-term view on it and then i thought well the guy's quite entrepreneurial as well you know he's just gone and set a successful building firm up supporting his family so i thought he's got a really good ingredient this is all going from my head and then he was obviously ready to take that leap going then to the story of how that happened and how i had that bit of money even though i was a broker i'd, I'd invested it i bought myself property and and what have you i've always been quite good at managing my money in that sense but i did have a bit of extra spare cash and that was from an accident which was again from over excess and over indulgent which i was obviously partial to in my late teens early 20s and it was again taking things to an excess because as i say i can be quite an extreme character and i was working hard playing hard and what happened to me was a hair's width away from having it all pulled from me again yeah um so it's another humongous life lesson and really this is like that's the end of the life lesson i think that was it you know you do it again you're, you're on your own you know whoever might be controlling everything or, or not that is how i feel with it and i basically got very drunk one night in the city it was a wednesday night only went out for one beer ended up being a huge session and i blacked out from a nightclub i was in and i woke up in a tube tunnel in bank tube station and i'd got in through the main doors and walked all the way down to the platform i used to get on to go to clapham on northern line fell asleep on a bench got up uh, about three in the morning walked really close to the lines i fell on the lines instead of getting back on the platform i walked straight down into the tunnel so it's pretty heavy and the only reason i know what happens because they rewound the videotapes sorry yeah around the, the the cameras and the video cameras within the station it took them about five weeks to piece it all together and they saw that i'd wandered in i've got zero recollection so luckily a lady had a feeling that the tube had hit something i luckily was stood next to a caveat in the tunnel because i was in the tunnel at the time quite deep in the tunnel i've been walking there for about two hours which is madness and i fell into this little gap and saved my life but she went and told that she thought the tube had hit someone luckily i was still conscious shouting out the guys that were working in the station at the time early morning saw me uh, sorry heard me 
didn't see me at all, heard me shouting, shot off the lines, and the paramedics came down and wow. saved my life. Thank, thank the Lord. Yeah, I mean, that's from your early experience of getting kicked off a, a boat. That's that's significant. And out of the back of that, then you, you leap from stockbroking into children's care homes and everything that brings. And your approach to that then did become purpose-led because with any industry, there's cowboys or people that are in it to make money. You know, what you were, what you described earlier is very much, a, you know, you can make more money if you do it the right way. And I think there's a, you know, maybe just a problem in so many things where it's like, you know, you've got to cut costs and have less staff because then you'll make more money. And it's the wrong attitude. And it was the wrong attitude then. And it's certainly the wrong attitude now to building a, a future-proof business. If you have purpose at the heart, like, what is the point of going into that sector, you know, children's care? It's like, yes, you need to make a profit. That's, you know, money makes the world go round. But you're actually doing it for those kids and getting the results. And if you do it really well and you invest and make that more positive experience than competitor children's homes, naturally, then you're going to attract investment. You're going to attract growth and positivity, which allows you to build a successful business. And that, you know, that was pure purpose then do you think that came from you know your near life you know you say it was again chance you meet someone at a party but you know was there something that from being in that dark tunnel to suddenly seeing the light is there a tie there (laughs) well i didn't see the light and say i've got to help children i think there's a lot of deeper things at work deeper subconscious at work and at this point, I was like, I do not want to throw things away. And I also need to branch out now. I need to try and fulfill what I think I'm I, I'm here to do or, or fulfill my own potential. All of those things added into it. So I had a little uh, a payout of about 50 grand. And that was the money I had. I just thought, well, I didn't have it before. You know, it's a decent amount of money. But, you know, is it enough to normally start a business? Don't know. Depends what you go into. So I backed him with that money. That's one of those things, again, obviously, I look at the butterfly effect. But if I hadn't have had that accident, I wouldn't have had that money. I wouldn't potentially have the mindset. And I wouldn't have actually now helped probably hundreds and hundreds of children to incubate them to go forward and I'd like to say that I'm the one directly helping I'm not obviously I'm behind the scenes you know I'm, I'm a, a, a board member now and obviously you know I, I advise on aspects of it but all of it is down to Simon and, and I also think that I'd love to do it and he was the one that can actually do the operations but he's an incredible guy that I found there and, and he's a good friend as well he was a good friend before and I love doing business with friends I love doing business with some family members yeah, but you're using your skill set and experience, knowledge, wisdom, perspective, etc., to add value to a business. You know, if you were in there trying to tell him how to do it, it wouldn't have worked, right? You have to use what you know. Let's jump ahead. So, you know, today we do play. It's an incredible business, incredible business, and it's really, you know, yes, the start of the journey, probably. I mean, just tell us where you are today and what the ambition is of that business. So where we are today, we do play owns Flipouts Group, which is a, a bench parks uh, all around the world. And we've done very, very well in the UK. But now we are concentrating internationally. Just before I got on a call with you, I was talking to some guys in Kuwait who are starting the first flip out now in a new mile. We've got India and other places. It, that is an incredible business because, you know, not only one are we there to, to make money with it, but we're 
offering huge amounts of, for quite a low price point as well, good, healthy family fun to have. You know, and, and our brand is quite an electrifying brand. It's a fun brand. It's not just a generic leisure centre type environment. And I think a lot of children in general, especially in the UK, they don't always get to go to somewhere like Disneyland or even Alton Towers, you know. So for something like this to be on the doorstep where you can do e-karting, bumper cars, ninja tag, which is a big interactive assault course, ice skating, all these different things in one roof for a low amount of money, I think is really exciting. And that is a wonderful, wonderful business. You know, we're selling fun, which is why I said to you before, Will, you know, who sells fun for a living? You know, so I'm quite, quite blessed on that. And it, you are like a kid in a candy shop with that business. And I think that's the same with the whole of We Do Play is we're just trying to think outside the box. And it's this thing again that, all right, I'm a businessman. I want to make money. I enjoy making money. I get satisfaction making money. I like what money can do for you. But the beauty is, same as the care home, is the better we make the business, the more fun people have, the better the business becomes by, you know, helping and educating these children, we make more money. You know, it, it's, it's a win-win in that sense. So we're always trying to evolve the businesses and Flip Out in particular is a real evolving beast. It's, it's like it's on steroids in, in the way that we work. It, we're always coming out with new ideas and trying to innovate and trying things, moving things around. But what spun out of that was Boom Battle Bar, which has been a huge success as well. We started that a month before lockdown. And in lockdown, we suddenly had all these landlords going, oh, my God, it's COVID. Who's ever going to come back to the high street? Is it finished? You know, we need businesses to bring people in. We weren't even a proven concept. We were still in building our first site. And because of that, we got the best landlord deals you'll ever see. You'll never see them again. You know, unless there's something similar to that, and I bloody hope there isn't. So we signed up tons and tons of deals, Oxford Street, the O2, to name a few. And uh, we ended up selling the business within 18 months for a very large, large multiple. So that was fantastic. And they're going from strength to strength. It's a, it's a fantastic concept. No one had harnessed the concept of putting lots of activities in competitive socialising under one roof. You have good darts guys like flight club you've got them with putt shack but they're one dimensional but they do it extremely well so that's why they get their repeat revenue we didn't have the funds of what they had we didn't want to spend the funds of what they had that wasn't we didn't have a bright idea about it but what we did have was the idea of putting all different activities like axe throwing shuffleboard and crazy golf beer pong all under one roof now did we think that we owned an ip on that no we didn't but what we did do is we we then realized that our usp was to move fast and actually land grab across the UK to make it hard for anyone within that industry to come close to us. And every time we could, we put an exclusivity clause in there as well to try and stop people coming in and doing darts or doing golf. And that way we superseded the competitors. I wanted to mention as well is one of the things that we did in terms of our leases at the time, people were saying, were you mad signing these leases? And yeah, we were a bit mad. But what we did do, which I think was pretty clever, when I look back at it, was we put in the leases a clause to say that, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll take this site. But if we're still in a government lockdown and at any point in the future we become in a government lockdown because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, we will not be charged any rent whatsoever. And it meant then from signing a lease today, if we were in the pandemic now, it might be five years time that we come out of that pandemic. We are not paying anything or any rent until the government reopens everything. And I think that was a good move. 
Yeah, and it, it really was. I mean, it, you know, we spoke during lockdown at various times of pain. But, you know, incredibly brave, you know, to go out there and do it. And I think that you know, people lost a lot of their confidence in everything. So, you know, for someone to sort of take that chance at that time, that is going to be a huge part of that future success. And I think in the business overall, when I look at it in terms of, you know, location-based entertainment is a hugely important industry. You know, you don't just go to the pub. Future generations don't go to the pub. They go to Flight Club or they go to Flip Out. They go and have an experience because people these days are prioritizing experiences over things, right? You know, you want to feel something rather than just own something. And I think, you know, we talk about future-proofing things or future-proof businesses for future generations. You know, what you're doing and, and the, also the ambition and where it's going to go is is massive. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I think tying it back to purpose, you know, the thing for me that, when we first started talking about flip out is we know we had lockdown and youtube move forward 10 years because kids were on screens you know and do you want to go to the park well it's raining but trampoline parks alone i've got kids myself and we go to them regularly the impact they have you you don't need to worry about kids being on screens if you see them in a trampoline park because you realize how much enjoyment there is and if you get involved yourself as i have a, it's a bit scary, and B, I realise how unfit I am. The amount of activity that is going on, just jumping around these things. And, of course, it, you know, big one, exercise is boring. I don't like going to the gym or going for a run. But if you make it fun, you mentioned, you know, this is fun. We tell fun. If you make anything fun, then it doesn't even feel like exercise. And I think, obviously, the kids element is a huge part of your business. But actually, for adults and how you develop those experiences for, for adults, both yeah, ones that are a bit more or less exercising, but the ones that are exercising, right? You know, the the late night jumping events and things like that. All of those sorts of things are getting people active and helping them improve both physical and mental health. And I think that is a real purpose for me that sort of ties through everything you do. And also probably the big thing about why the future is so exciting. Yeah, I don't think it's it's not just that. That is a massive point of it. But I think that another point of it is bringing people together, doing something as a family, which is what Flip Out is about. You know, obviously, you go with your friends and your birthday parties. Boom isn't is, that's going with your mates, you know. But I'm talking about your family, and especially younger kids. And there's a lot of things to do. That's all quite generic. And coming out of lockdown, like a lot of places, we saw a massive increase in in footfall and a lot of built up sort of energy of people coming out but the one thing nowadays is you lose that family value of things and and being able to do something that you know you are enjoying as well as your child's doing and you're getting fit and you're having fun and spending time together so that there's a, a double treble whammy in there really for the business we've got it's a beautiful thing and, and this is really cheesy but it's given me huge amounts of joy and satisfaction i'll never forget it there's several times i've been in store and i've seen little children saying to their friends like shaking going this is amazing this is one of the best days of my life you know and you know i know kids say a lot of funny things like that but it's pretty cool you know it's a nice thing to do and it it won't you know there's so many businesses out there that 
they don't have a lot of purpose. They're just money-making machines or they're pretty bland. But this one's pretty significant in that sense. And going back to, I think, purpose and what I'm doing, maybe it's it's an inherent thing. You know, it's it's just a feat, something in there that is evolved where I'm doing the care home, the stuff with Boom for Friends. I've got this family health fitness. It's an area that I seem to be moving in and and I enjoy it and we're good at it. So we're gonna stick at it and, and keep keep going down that vein. It's not like I just sat there one day and had an epiphany, put it that way. No, no, I think that's an absolutely crucial point. It's not, you know, is it something in me or you know, something that happened to me that made me want to build a more purpose-led business or even just talking about purpose more? It's like maybe, whatever, but most people internally have a good core and a good purpose. So they would want to do it that way. I think the key and one of the reasons why we have this podcast and we, we, we want to grow it is it's, it is a learned skill. You know, you can learn how to build more purpose into everything you're doing in life, but particularly in business. And the reason you want to learn the skill is because the Gen Zs and the Alphas below them, you know, they're trending towards having purpose as a more important choice on the digital customer decision tree than price potentially in a few years when cost of living's got you know a bit out of the way so you know you want to build a business that's going to be fit for the next 50 years well getting purpose central to it is vital yeah right we're coming to the end there's one last question what's your favorite biscuit and why extremely i was thinking about this well it's extremely chocolatey marks and spencer's biscuit because you get a lot for your money yeah no that that is a that is a very popular quality quality choice the thing about that is it's more chocolate than biscuit, right? So, you know, technically, is that the correct answer? I'd probably say no, but it, it is a very good choice. Is it dunkable? That, that, you know, with that much chocolate, you've got a dunkability uh, problem, haven't you? Yeah, you're right, actually. I mean, I was going to say it's, it's, well, more chocolate than biscuit. I mean, it's, they don't call it a chocolate. It is a biscuit. I get what you're yeah. saying. I guess that. No, I'll, I'll take that. All right, you're in. You're in. I'll I'll allow it. Or or jammy dodger because you could say what's happened. I've had some pretty. I've dodged a few bullets and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty jammy in where I've got to and stuff. So maybe a jammy. Yeah, dodger. jammy a jammy dodger is a quality choice. Uh, listen, look. Thank you so so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been amazing. I think your your story is fascinating, and I think probably more importantly. And it maybe I think this every time we speak is that you're just getting started and, and there's always something new. And I think it's right back to the playground of you know swapping a, a little splinter figure for a for monopoly money. I think that element, that entrepreneurial way about you, you've got in you. And that's run through. And the fact now you've got a really good purpose-led business that you know god knows where it's going to lead so thank you very much yeah appreciate that will and i think exactly what you said there in terms of we're just at the beginning it does feel like that and you know i'm still relatively young i think in the business world so who knows where it's going to go but we're not stopping and we're relentless in the way that we work and one of the things i would say on the back of that is when i look at someone else like duncan valentine or someone else in business i just think to myself if he did it i can do it you know that that's my mentality in it and it might be i have to work a lot harder but i can still do it there are always enough hours in the day to achieve what you want love it yeah so thank you very much our mission at the true purpose podcast is to build a community of true purpose enterprise leaders 
and sort of share that message and inspire other people. So you've done all of those things today. So thank you very much, Rich. Yeah, thank you, Will. Really enjoyed it.